Good morning. What an amazing thought that is, that we come to him as we are. You know, another, another part of that song, that worship song, tells us that heaven opens up above us. And, and that's, that's, as we were worshiping, singing that song, that, that's what it just, that's just what impacted my heart, you know. Um, heaven opens up above us. Heaven and all that heaven has to give is made available to us. You know, we are told in the opening chapters of, he- of Ephesians that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing and we're told that we are, ado- we are adopted, you know, and that's the wonderful thing. And I, and I guess this is what Steve, Steve was at, you know, because when someone is adopted into a family, they come as they are with nothing to give other than themselves, nothing to give other than themselves. And that family that is adopting them is saying to them, I, am, I love you. I love you completely, I love you totally, and all that I am, all that is mine, all of my inheritance, everything that is me, I am giving now becomes yours. And that's the sense of what it is to come into the kingdom of God. When heaven opens up, all that heaven is, all that heaven has to offer becomes yours as his child. And what an amazing thought, what an incredible reality that we, yes, are sons and daughters of the living God, that he is our father and that he loves us. That's the, that's the amazing thing. That's the truly amazing thing. For who I was and where I've come from, as Steve says, it doesn't really matter. Because it's the love of God that has, that has won me and drawn me and brought me into believers. And it's the love of God that's going to keep me. And it's the love of God that's going to journey me through this life. And it's the love of God that's going to bring me into the very presence of the God who has opened up heaven above us and brought us into his, into his precious family. And that to me is the most wonderful contemplation. Most wonderful, wonderful place to start our time of worship this morning in the, before his word. Let's pray. Father, it's an amazing thing. It's an incredible thing. And I often wonder, as I consider who I am and who I was, and now as I struggle so often against what you were doing in my life, that your hand of mercy and grace, it never leaves me. It never leaves us, Lord. And to consider that, uh, to consider that you've made us your own—it's an amazing thing to me, and it brings great confidence to my heart to know of the great sufficiency that you have not only for me but for all of your children, all of your family. And so, Father, this morning we bring Magdalena and the children before you, and ask you, Lord, that your sufficiency would continue, Lord to be their strength, that your presence would continue to be their comfort, Lord, that your promise would continue to lift their hearts, to fill that void that has been left, to, to Lord, to remind them, Father, that, uh, that they have indeed been blessed. And I just pray, Father, that you would strengthen this family day to day to day as you lead them according to, Lord, all that you have for them. And Father, we... We, Lord, we ask for Wendy and we ask for Warren, Lord, that, that, Lord, they would know the great, again, the great sufficiency 
And the wonderful thing is I know it. I know they do know it, Lord. And I just pray, Father, that you would, you would move in Wendy's life and just lift her to that place of absolute confidence in you in this time. And we pray, Father God, for your healing hand upon her body, that you would sovereignly move and bring your, your purifying work to her physical frame, Lord God. We ask your healing touch. We ask you, Lord, to strengthen her. We ask you, Lord, to, to, Lord, just to bless Warren with all that you would have him to have for his wife right now. And anybody else in our family, Father God, we thank you again that you are the all-sufficient one. Bless us all, keep us all, encourage us, Father, to seek you and to honour you in all that we do and say and think upon, Lord, all that we focus upon, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you are our precious God who has saved us. Thank you, Father, for all these things in the precious name of your Son, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Ah, good to see you. Good to be here. It's good to be gathering together and worshipping him. And, and it's just wonderful to know that the family of God is in his hands, that all of us, that each of you are in his hands. And that's all that matters, isn't it? I think we've sung it in every single song this morning, every song of praise. We've said basically the same thing. And um, I encourage you uh, to now walk with me as we consider this, this new, new subject that we've been, uh, we entered into last, last week. We started talking about personal revival. If you received the newsletter the digital newsletter, there was a short blurb in there that Marty placed in there, which was, which was just that simple statement of it's, it's true, we, we can't necessarily all be in the same place together, but your presence remains the same. And we can always draw near to you, Lord, and we can always know, oh God, that, uh, that you are there to revive our hearts and bring your life to us, no matter no matter where we may be. And I trust that is what God will do in our hearts today and in the next couple of weeks. We talked about personal revival. The word revival, you will remember from last week, literally means to live again. And it's that regaining of the spiritual perspective. It's that person that had become... And, and, and this applies to every single one of us. We all know this in our walks with him. It's that time when we become stagnant in our faith. It's when we become stagnant, we become, comp become compromised, we, come, we become powerless in our Christian life, where there is no way from unrighteousness, but rather we are starting to become comfortable in the things that we know that we shouldn't be. We're no longer sharing our faith. We're not concerned about the lost. We're wordless. We're prayerless. We need to live again. We need to be revived. We need revival in our hearts and our walk with him. And so our question was last week, well, what do we do? And we met very familiar words from, uh, from 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. Let me read them again. 
where it simply was the heart of God saying, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will I forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Well, first, as I said last week, I believe we need to acknowledge whose people we are. We need to decide what we are the people of the God. We, more than that, we need to decide people of the God of the Bible. We need to decide that we are the people of the God of truth. But even as I said that last week, and I'm sure many of you may have contemplated on it during the week, I'm sure all of you realize that most people living out there and many people that even live us no longer believe in a God of absolute truth. In fact, they no longer believe in absolute truth at all. And they believe that truth is something that is relative, that truth is something that is changing, that it's according to the individual, that it's according to the changing times. And the problem with that is, is simply that truth by virtue of its very nature can only have one reality. It can only have one reality. There can only ever be one truth. In other words, two things cannot be contradicting each other. Both cannot be true. One has to be true and the other has to be a lie. And to just that truth can become a lie and that the lie can become truth at my own direction is pure idiocy. Yet, such idiocy, idiocy has become a appealing thing to a world, well, to this godless world, this godless culture that cares little about what God says. Consequently, consequent, further and further and further from the simple and powerful truth of the gospel message that was and has always been the very bedrock of our society, the bedrock, bedrock of what everything that this, world, this society has known has been built upon and the result is an ever-increasing intolerance and comfort with sin, sin that blatantly contradicts clear teaching of the God of the Bible. The Bible, you see, points us to the truth that there is a sovereign God. There is a sovereign God, a creator of heaven and earth. And that, that same God who created these heavens and this earth has reached out to us. It teaches us that he has reached out to us in the person of his son, that we can know him personally and intimately through the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. And Jesus has come and he has walked amongst us. And Jesus has told us in John chapter 16 that he will guide us into all truth. He has told us in John chapter 17 that his word, that God's word is truth and that he will sanctify us. He will set apart, us apart according to his truth. That is his absolute truth. And we need to decide that we are the people of the God of the Bible 
the God of absolute truth, the God of truth. We need to decide, Christian, if we are going to live again in spiritual revival, the very first thing that I have to say, that we have to say, and let me say it again, is we need to acknowledge whose people we are. We need to acknowledge who we belong to. I said to you last week, we are the sons and the daughters of the Most High God, the God of absolute truth, and we need to start in His. And so last week, in considering this life of revival, considering what it is to live again, we began to look at the need for personal prayer in a person's life. And, and when we say prayer, we're talking about a life that is sustained by intimate communion with the God of truth, with the holy, righteous God. He's our Father in heaven, and he wants us to come into fellowship with him, into communion with him, not as a religious duty, but as a way of life. And it's worth noting on this subject of revival, it's worth noting that when we look back historically, where God has brought revival to the hearts of people, to communities and to nations, it's worth noticing that it was always preceded by and identified by passionate prayer. In Wales, we looked at this last year, in fact, in Wales it was a group of young people led by a Bible student by the name of Evan Roberts, who's sensing that he didn't have the passion that he wanted for Christ. And he looked around him and he didn't even see the passion that he desired for himself in the life of other people. And he began to pray. In fact, and he started a small prayer meeting, a prayer meeting that ultimately saw an international movement of God's Spirit ultimately seeing and bringing about the conversion of 100,000 plus souls. We see in the, in the Hebrides Islands, islands of Lewis and Harris of Scotland, two elderly 80s and they prayed earnestly for revival. At the same time in another part of, the, of that island, there were seven young men that were regularly um, giving themselves to prayer and seeking God and seeking Him until a spiritual awakening swept across that land. It was, a, it was, a, it was, a, it was following the, the, the Second World War and it was in these post-Second World War doldrums and, and there was heaviness and there was brokenness, was wandering and wandering in the hearts of the people and they just cried out to God and He brought life into their hearts and their souls. In an Indian girls' school, it was the prodding of a devout um, spiritual leader. I won't even try to say her name. I can say her first name. Her first name was Pandita. And she fired up the students in her school and she prevailed. She travailed in prayer with them which again, it resulted in revival. In each instance, you discover what you might call a spiritual posture among those that are at the very core of an awakening for God's people to live again. Not a physical posture. It had nothing to do with a physical posture, but a spiritual attitude of brokenness and desperation that stirs within the hearts of a believer. It's prayer that has a willingness to, to be bold and to risk things before a holy God. It's that young Evan Roberts praying, Lord, bend me, O God. 
It's, it's being open to whatever it takes for God to be totally in control of a person's life. That's, that's what revival or revival prayer, that's what it is to live again. It's to give it all to him. You know where it starts? We started last week, yes, by saying it's in prayer, and passionate prayer. And we looked at the example in the prayer life of Christ to identify that. It starts in that place of prayer. It starts in that place of intimacy. But it starts in the place of a repentant heart. Of a repentant heart. Again, what was it? If my people, which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins. I believe strongly if we as believers, no matter where we are, no matter where we are right now, if we as believers are going to experience personal revival, then we must come into his presence humbly, in desperation, crying out, crying out what the psalmist cried out for. In Psalm 139, again, such familiar words, but I want you to hear the cry, the passionate cry, when the psalmist 139 verse 23 said these words, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the ways of everlasting. You see, much of the church today is struggling with its identity. Many believers today are struggling with their identity. They don't know whose people they really are. We must understand that our true identity is in Christ Jesus. And for many, we need to have a serious lifestyle change. A change from a compromising relative Christianity that many think is Christian, but is so far from the mark. What I put before you this morning is not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing. Indeed, it is a great challenge. And there's no how-to list. There's a million books listed on how-to, but there's no how-to list that anyone can give you. It's just a question. Christian, it's just a question. Are you willing? Are you willing to have your life examined by the holy God of heaven and earth? Are you willing to put yourself before him, the one who created it all? Are you willing to ask him, search me, O God? Are you willing to ask him to know your heart, to try you? Are you willing, Christian, to ask him to expose any wickedness that is in you, that he might what? That he might lead you in the ways of everlasting? Are you willing to let him challenge? And I say these words, willing to let him challenge your self-centered identity. This life that so often has become very much just about me. Are you willing to let him expose that wavering commitment to righteousness? Are you willing to let him correct, this is what I mean, correct that constant changing perspective of right and wrong? 
you're willing, I guess, to turn to your first love? Are you willing to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? You know what that means? That is someone who follows him. That is someone who learns from him. We're not learning from anywhere else. We're not following anyone or anything else. That's why so many Christians have lost a sense of their identity and they don't really know whose they are. So many influences in their lives. They're letting so many people lead them. They're letting so many voices speak. This is right or that is wrong or this is righteous and that is, that is not righteous. And they're listening to the, to, the, to the mandates and the descriptions of a human concept of who God and what God says is right and what God said is wrong. And they're so often so far from the reality of the truth. We need to open our hearts and say, Lord, come on in. Search me, not try me. Show me if there's any wickedness within me that I might walk in the ways of everlasting. And the reason I come to you this morning with this is because I realize and I know that this question is for every single one of us. Every single one of us. I know it's God's question to all of these children. And I believe it is the most important need today. I believe it is the most important challenge for all of God's children, all of his people. It's the challenge really of this age in which we live. The challenge to live as a child of God. This is not for the unbeliever. It's not what this, these verses are spoken to. Psalm 139, and I, I encourage you to go and spend some time in it. speaks of God's universal presence and infinite knowledge. He knows our every thought, our every word, our every action. Nothing is hid from him. As the writer of Hebrews would tell us, there is no, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open before him whom we must give an account to. Again, to the unbeliever whose life has justified their sin, to the unbeliever who has denied the existence of God, to the unbeliever who says they're doing it their way and their way only, to this person, the idea of an all-knowing, all-seeing God is a terrifying reality. And that's why they won't be confronted by it. But when I look at the genuineness of the heart of the psalmist, I love what I see in David. He breaks out into praise as he meditates on God's access to his life. That should be the most encouraging truth, you know. Even his secret thoughts, he realizes that God knows his secret thoughts, all his hidden places. There's nothing hidden from the God whom he serves. Let me read you just you the first few verses. He says in that psalm, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You have known my sitting down and my raising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. For there is not a word of my tongue, but behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. This is celebration. This is not fear. Behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me 
and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge, can you hear it? It's too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. I can't even, I can't even fathom that thought, that reality of knowing that there is someone who loves me. There is someone who cares for me. There is someone who's done it all for me and they know every aspect of my being. Every aspect of my being. You know, a genuine love relationship is when you look at that person, that person that is the passion of your life, you look into their eyes, you hear their words, you see their choices, and you realize that person, that person knows everything about me. I I pulled a card out. from a drawer yesterday, and it was from it was from Donna. Um, I can't remember it all, but it, it simply said it was a birthday card, and it just says, "Thank you for loving me, for protecting me. Thank you for being the one who knows me." And I thought, my this this person whom I love is safe. In, my, in our relationship. You know, and and, and that's, what Dave, that's where David is here, you know. He's safe in the relationship of the God who knows absolutely everything about him. God's omniscience, God's omnipresence, God's omnipotence. He knows it all. He occupies it all. He sees it all. And it's a comfort to David's heart. And you don't see him running away from this. But you see him running towards God. He runs towards this God who knows him intimately and urges him to search him and to know his heart. You see, David had done much wrong in his life. You know, we know his story, don't we? He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He committed treachery against his God and against God's people. But here's the thing to know. God had exposed all of that in his life. And God had disciplined him. And God had put him right. I mean, you read Psalm 51 and you see see this spiritual posture The spiritual posture of a man in brokenness and desperation crying out to his God. He is a believer longing for God to forgive him, to awaken him, to live again. He is God's child wanting to take, or he is God's child wanting God to take him from where he was. He should be. He wanted God to root out all the offensiveness that was in him and to bring that transforming life of God to him, to work on him from the inside out. Do we want to read Psalm 51? We know it. It's a psalm of incredible plaque material, isn't it? And posters and all this sort of thing. But when you read it, child of God, I want you to read it knowing the heart that is crying out. Let let, let me spend some time in it. Now, let me just read it. He cries out, Psalm 51. He says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. He He says, I know that you love me. I know that I belong to you. 
according to the multitudes of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Lord, this is where I am. And this is not where I want to be. Again, you and you only, you and against you only have I sinned. Evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin in my mother, when my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden parts, you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sin, and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my He knows who he is. He knows who he belongs to. And he knows that he is so far from where he should be. But he cries out and who can bring him to the to be. And my tongue shall sing about your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips. Shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. If there was something that I could do to make it right, I would do it. But I know that's not what you want, God. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Thee, O God, you will not despise. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifice of righteousness, with burnt offerings and with burnt offerings burn offerings then they shall offer bulls on your altar you know I remember um, I vowed I'd never do this but I'm going to a movie I, re- I remember the Blues Brothers advertising slogan it said, it said they will never get caught they're on a mission from God remember it so, so wrong. So, so wrong. We're all on a mission from God. We, are, we will always get caught. Why? Because we're on a mission from God, aren't we? See, see that's the psalmist's heart there. Knowing who is his God. And knowing where he should be. But knowing that he isn't where he is should be, and knowing that this God will expose him, that this God will bring him back to where he needs to be. We're always going to get caught because we're all on mission from God. David knew that God's discipline was both strict and he knew it was painful, and he, but he also knew the alternative. 
He knew that the life that he had been living, if he didn't belong to the Lord, would have destroyed him. You see, God's call to repentance upon his heart was evidence that he belonged to God. And so did the discipline that he received. You know, we have those wonderful words again from the writer of Hebrews that challenges those that have forgotten this truth. Let me read it to you. It says in chapter 12, it says, You have forgotten the exhortations which speak to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, he says, then you're illegitimate, then you're not sons. Can I say it again? He knew he was God's son. And that sonship, knowing who his heavenly father was, was the very thing that drove him to that place of repentance, drove him to that very place to urge God to search him. It's this. God, nothing is hidden from you. But I can't see them all. God, nothing is hidden from you. Expose them all, Father. Don't leave me this way. Show me the way that leads to everlasting. Help me, Lord God. Move me from this way of darkness into your light. See, David is saying, Lord, you are the God who searches. You are the God who knows And I'm inviting you, I'm inviting you to search me and know me. He wants to be the man that he knows God meant him to be. But he can't see himself as God sees him. Can't see himself as God sees him. And that's so often the problem, isn't it? Again, as I said, so many Christians have lost their identity. Again, so many Christians are listening to an identity that's imposed upon them from people who are saying things that are not grounded in the truth of God's word. It's so often our problem. So he asked God to do the searching. This is the heart that's longing to live again. This is the heart that is hungering and thirsting after righteousness. This is the heart that knows, as Acts 17 tells us, that it's in him we live and move and have our being. Nowhere else. Nowhere else is it found. So God, search me. Search the deep places. 
God, try me. Purify me. God, reveal to me. God, I come to you with this heart, this desperate need. I repent and I'm turning away from those things that you show me, Lord, in heaven. I know that yours is the only path to righteousness. I, only, I know it, it only comes through the searching of your spirit as you expose to me who I really am. Who I really am. Here is the person who really wants to be set free from living life his own way. And he's not afraid to ask God to show him the way. He knows that God knows everything concerning him. I know I'm repeating this, but it's so important. He knows that God has been with him from the very beginning, from before he was in his mother's womb. He knows that God is the one who knit him together in his mother's womb. He knows that God is the one that was with him then, has always been with him, and is with him now. He knows that this God loves him. If you knew that about who God was, Christian, stop and think about it. He brought you into existence. He knit you together. He laid you in your mother's arms. And there's nothing more beautiful than that, is there? There's nothing more precious than that. Than that amazing gift. As a mother looks into the eyes of her newborn child. And having never met this person before having never met this person before, would give their life in an instant. Right there and right there. God has done this for us. He's given us such love. He's given us such a life. Think about it. He must love me. He must love me with a love that is beyond my comprehension. That's why it is so comforting to know that he knows absolutely everything about me. And I know he's with me now. And I know he loves me, as I said, more than I can even begin to comprehend. But you also need to know the way of the wicked. Because David did. You also need to know the way that the wicked go. And you also got to not want to go there. So it's God, keep on shining. Keep on shining your marvelous light of love to me. Keep on exposing my sin. This is the way to revival. This is the way to living again. Lord God, keep exposing my sin. Keep leading me into everlasting life. It needs a willingness to change. It needs an acknowledgement that our wretched habits of tolerating sin is the very thing that is keeping me half dead. Half dead. Will you humble yourselves, Christian, before him? Will you pray? Unless you have, and unless you haven't heard it this morning, it's not the request for a casual look and see to look around my life, but rather this is the hunger for a deep, 
penetrating investigation. Not just into the things that I know I'm doing wrong, but investigating this heart and asking God to expose to me that I might discover the very motivations that are behind the things that I do wrong. You know, the language that is used here, search me, is the language that is used to describe a mining operation. It's asking God to dig deep into the earth of your heart. It's asking him to uncover what is deep down below the surface that we might confess. Because again, so many of us have forgotten who we are. We've lost our identities. We don't know whose it is, who it is that we belong to. Discover this God who knows you intimately. Discover him. Seek him with such passion that we might confess whatever the Spirit of God brings to the surface, whatever he raises up before you. Turn from it and turn to righteousness. Don't harbor anything, people. Don't harbor any unforgiveness. Don't harbor any bitterness. Don't hold on to it. Wherever it's possible, as he shines this light of conviction upon your heart, make the crooked things straight in your life. Put them right, you know. See, this is the challenge for personal revival. Let me finish. Um, one commentator said, um, He said, are you game to let God shine the searchlight of his purity and his love into your hearts? Would you be willing to let him share with you how he sees you? Would you be willing to change the things in your life that are grievous to him? Would you be willing for him to make you willing to be totally open to him? Can I, can I read it again? Are you game to let God shine the searchlight of his purity and his love into your hearts? Would you be willing to let him share with you how he sees you? Would you be willing to change the things in your life that are grievous to him? Would you be willing for him to make you willing to be totally open to him. That's how we live again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, a glorious God, a wonderful creator, precious saviour, Lord, draw us back, I pray, every one of us, to that time of our first love, that time when you exposed just how rotten to the core we were, just how far we were from you, how alienated we were from you. And you began to open our eyes to the beauty of who Christ was. 
And you birthed in us a hunger and a thirst for that beauty, for that righteousness. You filled us with your spirit. Holy Spirit, you ignited our hearts. You caused us to sing a song of praise and adoration before our great God and King, our soon coming Savior, our Redeemer, our reason for being. You caused all the things of this world to, that, we, that we previously had hungered for, the previous passions, the previous desires, those loves, you caused them to fade. And they became nothing but darkness by comparison to your glorious, glorious light. You made us live, Lord God. And we want to live again, Father. We want to live again with that passion. And Father, I pray that you would make us willing to have the examination of God. In Jesus' name, start the work, Father. In Jesus' name, precious Lord, begin to shine the light to bring it to the surface, precious God, that maybe we might see it for the very first time in our lives, that we can be set free to follow you, to learn more of you, to know that intimacy of relationship that you want for us, to be one with you, precious God. Make us live again, I pray. In Jesus' most precious name. It started at the cross of Calvary, where he shed his pure blood for us. To drink of him and eat of him, that we might know his forgiveness, that we might know his life living in us and through us. If you have prepared to take Father in heaven, precious God, we stand at the foot of the cross where we know we stand equal with all of mankind. All of mankind fallen short of the glory of who you are. All of mankind infested with sinfulness and hatred and jealousies and impurities and desires for selfish ambition. All of mankind infected with a fallen nature. We stand there, Lord God, and know that you are the only one that can cleanse us and lift us up and bring that newness of life. And Father in heaven, we thank you for saving us, Lord. We thank you for looking down upon us and forgiving us of our sin and cleansing us of, of unrighteousness and turning us from our rebellion. Precious God, we thank you. But Lord, we want to live again. We want to live in that intimacy of relationship. And so we take this cup and we're reminded, precious God, precious God, that you have forgiven us of all our sin. Take the cup with me. Thank you, Father. And we thank you, Lord, for this bread that represents the life that lives in us now. 
you told us that he that eats of you shall never hunger again. Lord, satisfy our thirst. Satisfy our thirst for that righteousness in a way that we will continue to hunger and in reality never be satisfied, that you will only ever be enough. Thank you in Jesus' name. Let's take the bread together. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Would you guys stand with us again for one last time of worship? We're going to worship our God.